If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. Matthew chapter number 11. I have a unique blessing in my life. I am, I am really good friends with Julie's mom, my mother-in-law. She is a phenomenal, phenomenal individual. And Kathy says that the greatest day of her life was Julie's last day of school. Because it was the last time she ever had to try to wake Julie up in the morning. Now, I will tell you, the end of the story is Julie gets up right now. I mean, she, she wakes up and she gets going early in the morning now. But apparently during her childhood, and I can assure you during the early years of our marriage, I, I felt like I was performing a miracle every morning, raising someone from the dead when it came time. Julie was a school teacher when we first got married, and I, I would... I'd say, honey, it's time to get up. And I'd try to be cheerful, but not too cheerful. It's a very fine line to walk. And, and I'd say, honey, it's time to get up. Honey, it's time to get up. And, and then finally I'd say, Julie, there are 27 six-year-olds waiting for you in the classroom. It's time to get up. But Julie has grown. She has matured. She, she's aging like a fine wine, and, and now she gets out of bed every single morning at the same time I do. We started a tradition just a few years ago that, that really just kind of evolved, it just kind of happened, where <clears throat> we get up just about every single morning of the world and have coffee together, but the tradition starts the night before. The, when we go to bed at night, Julie goes to our kitchen cabinet, and she opens it up, and she pulls out two matching mugs and sets them right beside the coffee machine. I think we have a picture of that I can show you. Mac and Julie, oh, all together, oh. Hey, you can all, all you want, 27 years, still working. But mine typically goes closer to the machine because I'm typically, not always, but typically I get up a little bit before Julie. I'll make my coffee, maybe depending on how long before she needs to get up, I'll sit kind of in the, in the quiet and the dark and kind of chill out. And then I'll go wake Julie up and I'll, I'll sneak into the bedroom and I'll turn off the alarm so it doesn't bother her. And I'll be like, love, love, huh? Say, love, it's, it's time to get up. But I thought you'd rather hear my voice than the alarm. So here I am. I've taken the liberty of preparing your coffee for you. It's, it's waiting for you in the living room whenever you get there. I'll be right there. And she gets out of bed and she goes into the bathroom and she brushes her hair. And then we come together for what we call in our household coffee of a morning. Now we call it coffee of a morning because that's what Gus called it in Lonesome Dove. But coffee of a morning has some very, very strict guidelines and rules. Zero. Everybody say zero. Zero, zero cell phones. No iPads, no computers, no calendars. Sometimes no talking. Sometimes we just kind of sit in the dark and look longingly into each other's eyes, <laughs> trying to stay awake. No lights during coffee of a morning. Just the 
gentle hum of our three dogs in their crates, one of whom has severe sinus problems and snores. But this is how Julie and I start the day, and it has been an absolute game changer for us 27 years into this wedded bliss that we've been sharing together. Now, what is true for a 27-year-old marriage is absolutely irrefutably true for every single person who follows Christ. Not that you need to have coffee in our living room, but that every single one of us needs a daily reset. We all need a daily and a weekly reset in our faith in order to see that faith grow and develop. It's not enough to just show up at church once a week or once a month even. It's, it is a day-by-day kind of thing. It's an opportunity that we have that God invites us into. It's a, it's a daily reset, but there's also a weekly reset. Did you know that we were created in the image of God himself? God, who did all of his work on six days, but on the seventh day, rested. Now, I've always found that fascinating that God rested, because my understanding of God is that he is all-powerful. It's not like God did all of the work of creation in six days or six eras or whatever it might have been, but He did it in six days and then kind of got to the seventh and was like, I take a knee, I'm kind of winded. Creativity is hard work. God wasn't exhausted. God rested on the seventh day as an example for you and for me. God rested and then set aside a Sabbath day for that spiritual reset. And it's in that Sabbath spiritual reset that God supernaturally unifies the the temporal, where where we live, with the eternal. He he unifies the, the community with the individual. He unifies the divine with the human. And there's something that happens in this spiritual reset when we gather in the same room together that doesn't happen anywhere else in our spiritual journey. Now, it's true that we do an online streaming of our services, and you can go and watch them later on, and we do that as a service to people who can't get here. But one of the things that we've noticed over time is that sometimes it's just kind of like, I think I'm going to stay home. I, I, can, I can stream the service online. And listen, if you're doing that, that's awesome. Everybody say welcome to the folks streaming online. Welcome. That's cool. It's great. But, everybody say but. but. There's something that cannot be re- replicated over an internet feed. There, there's something that happens. I don't want to break it to you at home, but you're missing something. There's something that happens when we gather together in the same room and we, we sip the same coffee and we have the same coffee breath and we sing the same songs. There's something that happens supernaturally and spiritually that cannot be replicated in a phone or a laptop. And it's this reset that is so critical to our lives. It is so critical to our faith. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus extends 
an invitation. He extends an invitation to anyone and everyone who would receive it. But it, embedded in this invitation is a really, really audacious claim about a life lived in relationship with Christ. This is what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Let, let me, I want to take just a quick time out there. If you don't mind, let's take that, the rest of the verse down for just a second. I'm just curious, and I'm not being sarcastic in this moment. I can be sarcastic, but I'm not being right now. Does anybody in this room over the last, let's say, two weeks, has anybody gotten too much rest? Let me just see a show of hands. If you've gotten too much rest, I didn't think so. There is something epidemic about rest in the world that you and I occupy, the world that we live in. I mean, kind of the, the red badge of courage that we all wear day in and day out is busyness, right? We're, we're busy. How are you doing? Man, I'm busy. I'm so busy. I'm just so busy. I'm busy. There, there's something about even even our vacations. I, I, so how many of you have ever said, like I have, man, I need a vacation from my vacation. Have, many of you, have any of y'all ever done that? Have any of y'all done that this summer? Vacate? I talked to a woman last week, close friend of ours. She went, to, she went up in the mountains for vacation, went mountain biking, went over the front of the handlebars three different times. I was like, bruh, I'm out. Take me to the beach. How many of you also know that a family trip is not a vacation? Let me just see a show. That's what I thought. It's the laugh of recognition right there. Some of you are thinking, I don't know, can I laugh at that, honey? Because I really enjoyed the time. But I'm just saying, I talked to a friend of mine recently. He went, on a, he went on a family trip with four children under the age of eight. Father, right now, I just want to pray for my friend. Four children under the age of eight and his in-laws, whom he likes. He looked like he had been beaten with a belt, like he had stolen something beaten. He's like, no, it was great, man. It was so much fun. But God built into us a need for rest, a need to reset our lives. He built into us a need to reset daily and weekly. This reset is so mission critical. It's so imperative that we're going to take the next two weeks to really dive in as a church family and explore and explain why this is so important, but also why it's so satisfying, why it is so fulfilling if we will actually do the reset on a regular basis. Now, it's one thing for, for Julie and me to reset every day as husband and wife. And, and I will tell you that from a human perspective, coffee of a morning is my favorite part of the day. It's the best. There's no phone ringing. There are no emails coming in. Nobody is 
upset about the sermon that I didn't preach that weekend or an illustration that I used or anything hypothetically. There, none of that's going on. It's just, it's just Julie and me on the same team. God, how'd you sleep? Pretty good. How'd you sleep? Well, I've been up for a couple of hours, but I love you. And so it's, it's just this, it's this incredible time before, before the day really, really begins. When it comes to our faith in Christ, we need a daily reset. We need this time to, to really and truly prepare ourselves both offensively and defensively. You see, the fact of the matter is the daily grind can, can really kind of wear us down, can it? I mean, that, that's what the term, the daily grind, means. It just kind of wears on you and, and tears apart the, the real substance of who we are unless, unless we intentionally and deliberately reset. Unless we set aside this time with God, not, not for the daily grind, but instead for the daily find. For, for us to find in Christ our peace and his power. To find in Christ purpose and meaning in our day. To find in Christ the order and peace that passes all perception. It's in Christ that we find these things and we need these things. From an offensive standpoint, when we go to God regularly, day in and day out, we're reminded of our purpose. We're reminded why, our, why we're here. As we discover more of who God is, we also discover more of who he's created us to be. We, we appropriate that God-given, that Holy Spirit-led self-awareness that allows us to kind of celebrate our strengths, but also celebrate our weaknesses and go, you know what, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I need to be doing today. And, and so we find offensively in that time with God, this purpose and this power that carries us throughout the entire day. But it's also true that there's a defensive purpose because this time with God allows us to invite the Holy Spirit of God to guard and protect our hearts and our minds from our native, just kind of innate selfishness from, from the, the hassle and the clutter and the noise of the day. And we all have to guard against that. Anybody in the room, like your pastor, Anybody in the room have to, have to guard against selfishness from time to time? Let me just see a show of hands if you ever have. Thank you for your honesty. Now, for those of you who didn't raise your hands, anybody have to guard against dishonesty and lying in church? Can I just see a show of hands? We've all got this. It's, it's in us from the moment we're born. The, the second we come into this world, we think we're the center of the universe. And for most of us when we're born, that's true. Wah, people come running. And, and for some of us, it takes a long time to figure out that we're not really the center of the universe. But this time with God, who is the center of the universe, with God, who is the creator of everything, including me, with the one who is God and I am not, that time allows me to, to guard and protect my heart from those things, from that kind of native selfishness from the, the clutter and the noise and the chatter and the clatter of the day. And so it allows us to reset with him, to reset the rest of our days. And I would tell you 
that it's mandatory. It's not something that is optional for a person who wants to grow spiritually. If we reset and gather together on the weekend, that's great and that's important, but it's not enough by itself. There has to be that time that you set aside, that I set aside to reconnect with God, to reset my relationship with him. Now, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary. He says, this is, this is an invitation and he will give us rest. Let's pull the rest of that verse up. Verse 29, it says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Now, Jesus is speaking in this context about the gospel. He, he's speaking broadly about a life lived in relationship with him, which is ultimately about a reset. It's about a reset and a reorienting of our lives around him. Because apart from a relationship with Christ, we will put something or someone else on the throne of our lives. We will decide that whether it's our, our business or our finances or our family or ourselves, something will go on the throne of our lives. But Jesus says when we come to him, when we enter into a relationship with him, that is a reset of our entire lives. It's a reset of our minds. It's a reset of our priorities. It's a reset of our relationships. It's a reset of everything in our lives. And it's in that reset that we find rest. It's in that reset with Christ that it becomes possible. You know, over the years, I have recommended to you multiple books that have been written by Pastor Tim Keller. Keller was the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, in New York City. He's recently retired from that position, but he remains, in my humble opinion, one of the incredible great minds and one of the great hearts of the Christian faith in our day and age. He's an incredible resource. And in his book, Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God, Keller writes very openly about the time that he discovered a, a lack of a proficiency in prayer, about the reality that he came to when he understood that all of his education and his schooling and his years in the pastorate, despite all of that, there, there, was, a, there was an academic coldness to his prayer life. And he knew that there was more. He knew that, that God had, has offered more in that arena, but he wasn't experiencing it. And he writes very specifically about the circumstances that led him to that realization. It was right around the year 2000. His wife, Kathy, had been diagnosed with Crohn's disease and was struggling with the, the symptoms of that disease. At the same time, they were walking through the events and the aftermath of 9-11 in New York City. And Keller himself was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. All of these circumstances kind of landed at the same time and at the same place. And it was Tim Keller's wife, Kathy, who kind of issued a, a, an illustration. She said, we've got to get better at prayer. And this is what Kathy said. She said, imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you you would die within hours unless 
you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Now imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it just slip our minds. What a powerful, powerful picture that Kathy Keller paints. To understand that prayer is actually the lifeblood of our faith in Christ. To understand that time with God is actually mandatory for anybody who wants to grow in their personal relationship with Jesus. That it's like being told you need to take a certain pill in order to live. Pretty much, you're not missing that one. You go on vacation, you're taking your pills. You're staying at home, you're taking your pills. You go to a concert, you're taking your pills. Whatever it takes, you're going to make sure you get that. Well, this prayer reset with God is that vital to our faith. Because over time, without it, our faith withers. Our faith shrivels. It it can't grow and develop the muscularity, the robustness that it can have in that regular reset with God. So that means we've got to make this a priority. It's really interesting. The question that I get asked more often than any other question about things of faith is how do you pray? How do you, how do you go about praying? Because the fact of the matter is most of us will never hear the audible voice of God. Most of us will, will never hear God speak with, like James Earl Jones. Mac, go to and do whatever. The fact of the matter is that prayer is a spiritual exchange between us and God. Prayer in this daily reset idea is interaction. It is a divine dialogue between God, who is perfect, and you and me, who are not. It is this relational communication that has to happen in order for this relationship to grow. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to take out the program that you got when you came in. Just go ahead and take it out right now. Open it up to the notes page. And I want to invite you just to write down some things to begin putting into practice today. Don't start tomorrow. Today. 73% of Americans believe in prayer of some sort. 73% of us. 84% of us don't know how to start. So this is a way. It's not the only way, but it is a way. Number one, set an appointment with God. Set an appointment with God. An addendum to number one. Set an appointment with God, and I'm just going to say this, in the morning. In the morning. 
How many of you are morning people? Let me see a show of hands if you're a morning person. Keep your hands up. That's good. That's awesome. We have counselors available for you at the end of this service. <laughs> now, here's what's funny. I'm not naturally a morning person. I, my, earlier in my life, I was late at night, late to rise. But I don't know what happened. Somewhere along the way, maybe it was from hunting, maybe it was just from aging. Like, I just wake up. Like, if I sleep in, it's 530 I, I, I can't, I don't even know what to say to that. But I do know this. The Bible doesn't command us to pray in the mornings. It doesn't. But it does repeatedly, over and over and over and over again, describe the benefits and the blessings of resetting with God early in the morning. Look in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is in the Old Testament. If you open your Bible, about halfway, you'll find Psalms, the longest book in the Bible. Take a right, you'll go through Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Lamentations is basically a, it is a song of lament over the destruction of Jerusalem because of Israel's sin. But even in this song of lament, look at what it says in Lamentations chapter number three. It says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. So even with the destruction of Jerusalem all around them, they were still able to see the mercies of God new every day in the morning. Every day that you wake up. Every day that I wake up and, and have another day, it's an opportunity to, to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's an opportunity to encounter him. It's an opportunity to be reminded of his faithfulness, of his constancy in the light of everything else's inconsistency. So it's in the morning. David said in Psalm chapter 5, Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, David writes, Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my requests to you and wait expectantly. So every morning, David presents his request to God and then, and then waits to see what God is going to do. I would encourage you, as you begin to pray every day, buy a journal, buy a, buy a spiral notebook. Office Max is going to have all kinds of sale because of back to school. This will be the one good thing because of back to school. You can get a prayer journal cheap. If you're really spiritual, go to Barnes & Noble and buy a moleskin. Those are the people. I mean, spiritually, it's a whole nother level. <laughs> but here's what happens when you journal your prayers. Number one, you stay focused in the moment. When I pray silently over time, I get distracted. When, when I pray, I, Lord, thank you so much for this day. Today is August the 5th. And... Tomorrow's August the 6th, and it's Monday. I know our kids are going to be at camp. Julie's going to be working on this thing. It's like in my prayer life, something shiny rolls in front of me, and I get completely off track. But when I write it down, I stay on task. I stay on point. Here's another thing that happens when you write down your prayers and your appointment in the morning. You establish a record of God's faithfulness. You, you start to see over time things that you prayed about back down the road. You see God's faithfulness over time. I could take you to my prayer journals when I was in college and Julie and I started dating. I remember 
Lord, man, I, I just pray that, that you help her to love me and say yes. I, I have that prayer. I have it. I, I remember when Julie told me she was pregnant the first time with Emily. I remember, it, I couldn't even write. It was just like, like squiggles in my prayer journal. And God knew what it meant, but I was just there. And you see this over time. So you set this appointment, but, but you make sure that you, that you pray. And when I pray, I, I just use an acrostic that, that's a template that, that's really, really helpful. It's just P-R-A-Y. It's, it's very straightforward, but it helps me, again, to stay focused, and, and it helps me to proceed and, and have a process in this relationship. Julie and I have processes in our marriage. Coffee of a morning is part of our process. Date night, part of our process. Paying the bills, part of our process. In my relationship with God, this daily reset, the, the daily find with Christ is this opportunity to, to come before him. And so P-R-A-Y, just write those letters down and we're gonna make this a little interactive, all right? Kind of, you know, pastor's first Sunday back after vacation. P, give me a P. P. P is praise. It's worship. Just write down what you love about God. Write down the first things that come into your mind when you think about God. Write them down. Tell him how awesome you think he is. Julie asked me to do that all the time. Sometimes for no reason, apropos of absolutely nothing, she'll look at me and she'll say, honey, tell me three things that you love about me and they can't be the last three. Go. Woe unto me if I hesitate. Now, the good news is with Julie, there's a lot to love. There, there are a lot of things that I can list about her that I love. But when it comes to God, when it, when it comes to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who created me, the one who called me, the one who saved me, the one who forgave me, the one who loves me, perfectly and unconditionally, the one who created everything that you can see, the one who sustains this world like it's spinning on his finger like a Harlem Globetrotter, this God, you can never run out of things to worship and praise. And when you start with praise, it's this incredible acknowledgement that he is God and I am not. And there is this amazing, liberating power in that reality. When you start to remember that he is God, he's already said, I will keep the world spinning. I will take care of you. I will hold you in the hollow of my hand. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Kind of like, I can handle that meeting today. God's got this. God's got me. So there's this peace that comes from praise and worship. The second is R. Give me an R. R, R is repent repent. This is where you ask the Holy Spirit of God to come into your life and flush out any, any sin. You know, the easiest prayer to pray is this one. Father, forgive me of all my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. That's easy. You know the tough prayer? It's the one David prayed. David said, Father, search me and know me and find any offensive way that is within me. 
God, point out to me anything in here in my life that's getting in the way of our relationship. And then confess it. Name it to God. Just, just call it out and ask for the grace of God to repent. To repent is to turn away. It's a military term. It's an about face. You do a 180. And when you name sin by name and you repent from it, you're a lot less likely. It's not a guarantee, but you're a lot less likely to wade into that throughout that day. Repent. A, give me an A. A. Ask. Ask. What's on your heart? Well, what's, what is it that you can't handle by yourself? Ask God. Jesus said over and over and over again, the Father is a good Father. You, you who are sinful human beings, you, you give good gifts to your children. If your child asks you for bread, you don't, you don't give them a stone. If your child asks for fish, you, you, don't, you don't give them a snake. That's what you do. You're, you're, you're good parents. How much more does your heavenly Father in heaven want to give good gifts to you? So just ask. Put it out there. I think a lot of people have trouble conceiving the idea that God wants us to. But it's even in the asking that we're remembering he's God and we're not. It's in the asking that we're coming to him saying, I need help. I want your help. Now, before we get to why, it's the hardest one of the whole thing. I'm, spoiler alert. So give me a why. why? Yield. Yield. Yield your life to him. Surrender. Submit your day. Yield my, my wants and desires. Yeah, your wants and desires, motives. Yield my thoughts. Yeah, your thoughts. The, what, the things that, that traffic around in our brains and our minds, those are powerful things. Yield your words. Yield your actions. Yield yourself. Yield myself to him. Again, when we yield to God daily, in this, this daily find, it's not a grind. We, we find, we find the amazing power of an almighty God. Almighty. All power is his. If you've got any power, it's just because he gave it to you. If I've got some, it's just because he gave it to me. Almighty power and peace. That, that peace that you, you can't really describe, it, it passes all of our perception and our understanding. Now, now you're ready for the daily grind. I mean, at that point, let's go. 
But there's also a moment that occurs in the life of a Christ follower that is that initial yielding. It is that, it's that first yielding and surrender to God. It's that first time that, that you spiritually bow the knee and acknowledge that he is God and, and you're not. And you surrender your life to him. You confess your sins. And you step into a relationship with him. You step into the forgiveness and the peace and the purpose that God created you for. That's where it starts. That, that's the original reset that the daily reset reaffirms, refuels, replenishes. But if you're here today and you've never taken that, that initial step, that first move, then as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right here. In just a moment, before we leave, we're, we're going to give you the opportunity to yield your life to Christ, to step into that relationship with him. You don't have to pass a test. You don't have to show up, you know, for the next six months uninterrupted or anything like that. You just have to choose to yield to the initiative of God's amazing grace. To the fact of what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection for you. He, he's done it for all. But maybe this is your time to respond. Maybe this is your time to receive it personally. I want to ask you just for a moment, if, if everybody would just bow your heads. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, then we invite you just to pray right where you're sitting. A prayer of yielding, a prayer of commitment and surrender to Christ. Just silently, right where you are, silently speak to God. From your heart to his, just say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need that original reset in my life that you provide. I confess my sin to you, all of it. And Jesus, I claim, I, I accept your forgiveness. And Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me personally. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I will follow you from this moment forward. In exchange for your life, Jesus, I give you mine. And I pray this prayer in your name. 
by your power and your grace. Now just for a moment more, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, for those of you who just prayed that prayer, this is the greatest moment of your life. And as a church, we want to help. We want to be a family of faith with you. We want to come alongside. And so I'm going to ask you just a couple of things, if you don't mind. For those of you who just prayed that prayer, I want to ask you in the program that you have in your hand, just if you would start filling out that Connect card. That's kind of the, the first step in being a part of the family of faith. About halfway down, you'll notice a place there to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. If you'll mark that, and once you've completed that card, you can kind of fold it back and forth along the fold and the perforation just tear it off. And on your way out in just a few minutes, if you would, just hand that to one of our ushers, one of our hosts who are wearing the, the blue LHC shirts, <clears throat> or maybe hand it to somebody under the canopy that's underneath the big front porch out here. That, that's just the beginning of a, of a dialogue as a family. But the second thing I want to ask you to do, if you would, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer and you meant it, would you just raise your hand? Just lift your hand up high over your head and hold it there for just a brief moment. And as you hold up your hand, you're making a, a physical statement about a spiritual transaction, about what just happened between you and Christ. And so your hand in the air kind of stamps this moment in your life, but also in the life of this church, because this is the reason we exist, folks. And so as you go ahead and put your hands down, we just want to put our hands together to celebrate and honor that and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.